Hi, I'm Zachary Fall. I'm Nadia Cavell. And I'm Ben Weaver Hinks. And you're listening to Migratives, the podcast championing migrant creatives in the UK. In today's episode, we speak with Jimin Se, a London-based actor and writer originally from South Korea. Jimin spoke with us about her ups and downs as a foreign actor studying in the UK, the difficulties and doubts brought on by two years of COVID, and her debut play Unburied, runner-up of the inaugural Woven Voices Prize. Hi, Jimin. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you again for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Well, first off, could you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, like where you were born and about your upbringing? I was born in Seoul, South Korea, which is the capital of the country. And that's where I spent the majority of my childhood. Not all of it, but the majority of it. It's very urban and it's like a typical big city. And my upbringing was, I think it was fairly unconventional. I'm talking like in the Korean standards because, well, first of all, my parents divorced when I was a kid and that wasn't very common in Korea at that time. Mm. Or maybe it was common, but people didn't talk about it. And I moved back and forth between my dad's and mom's until I settled with my mom eventually. But it must have had quite a big impact on me because I couldn't talk about it to my friends. So it was a premature secret. But I'm glad that I settled with my mom because she's also very unconventional, but in a good way. She's (laughs) much more open-minded about a lot of things, especially for a Korean person from that generation. Uh, It sounds like such a typical like Asian parents cliche, but it's still very common for Korean parents to be putting so much pressure on their kids to do well Mm. at school and go to a prestigious uni. And like the pressure is on another level but Mm -hmm. I didn't really have much of that and I was allowed to explore whatever I was interested in so I was quite lucky in that way. Fantastic so what were you interested in? Well it's funny that I should say that after I just said I was allowed to explore whatever I was interested in because my initially I wanted to become a doctor. Oh wow. (laughs) (laughs) Because both my parents were doctors so that's all I knew about. Yeah I wanted to be a surgeon but I was like, I was a kid, so there was no specific reason behind it other than I thought it looked cool and I wanted to wear the gown and everything. Mm. And I was really into like Egyptian hieroglyphs for some reason for a while. And I was always interested in learning foreign languages and musical instruments as well until I finally found my passion in theatre. And what introduced you to theatre? What was your first experience of it and what was the turning point for you? Well, my earliest, my first memory of theatre is when I went to see Peter Pan when I was like five or six. And I don't remember much about it, except that Peter Pan flew about in the auditorium, which completely blew my five-year-old mind. (laughs) And uh, my mom said I was totally amazed by it, just completely engrossed. But other than that, I think the pivotal moment was when I went to see the Korean production of The Phantom of the Opera, the musical. That's when I began to properly get into theatre, which is kind of funny because I'm not that big a fan of The Phantom anymore. Mm. I think I knew that I wanted to pursue a career in theatre in some way, specifically musical theatre at the time. But it took me a while to realise that it was performing that I wanted to do. And it was quite scary at first because... I was 14 and even at that age I knew it was such a precarious career 
and I was extremely shy and introverted and just really awkward. And mm. all those traits were completely opposite of <laughs> what I thought you had to possess if you want to be an actor. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, I was kind of like, I was on the large side. I'm not now, but I was clinically overweight. And I think this is the case in a lot of cultures, but especially in Korea, you really have to fit in these specific beauty standards if you want to be an actor. So it really felt like everything was against me, but I was hell-bent on it. And I'm 20 years later, I'm still doing it. Fantastic. And so how big was the theatre scene around you, but also in your family? Did you go to many, well, musicals and also plays or? Yeah, I mean, theatre industry at the time in Korea wasn't that big. It's grown massively over the past like decade or so, but not so much when I was a kid. But I think my mum tried to expose me to theatre as much as possible and I remember going to see like Broadway, 42nd Street and stuff like that. And I remember like my mom took me to Three Sisters by Chekhov, but I was 10. Mm. And I literally couldn't understand anything that was going on stage. <laughs> right. So I think my mom really tried to like expose me to the arts. And even though my family wasn't particularly big on the arts, she always valued the power of the arts. And I remember she once told me the art is like a purifier of soul. And because even the most evil person can be moved by a simple mm. painting or song. That's what really stuck to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. So your mother was very supportive in your pursuit then? Yes, she was. Yeah. So when you decided to pursue this as a career, did you start training in Korea and then move to England? And what made you choose England as well? What made me choose England? I mean, I always wanted to study abroad for various reasons. I went to drama school in Korea, actually, and I thought I might go abroad to do a master's. But then I wasn't really happy with the training there. I'm not going to go into too much details, but overall, the whole thing was very unpleasant in many ways. Mm. And so I dropped out after the first term and chose to start from BA. And I can't quite put my finger on why I chose the UK. It was 2007, 2008. And at the time, the UK wasn't a popular destination for Koreans, whether it was for holidays or studying. Not that they had anything against the UK. It just wasn't in the radar. So mm. it, when I told my friends about it, they all thought it was a bit random. Like, why the UK? Mm. And if they want to study theatre in an English-speaking country, they'd probably go to, like, New York or California or right. Russia, actually, to study acting. Right. And when I'm asked the question, I always say, yeah, you know, because it's the country of Shakespeare, blah, blah. But I don't think that was the main, <laughs> that was the major re reason at that time. I just say it because I feel like I should say these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had either the States or the UK in my mind, and I was just more drawn to the UK. It's hard to explain. Maybe I just wanted to be a bit different. You know, I was 18. Also, kind of part of me felt that the UK drama schools would provide more traditional and in-depth training in a way. But I had no way of knowing that at the time. And I still don't know if that's true. Mm. But that's just how I felt. That's really interesting. Because I was going to ask, did you have any kind of insight, any of the people you knew or were training with at first? Or had anyone talked to you about the different kinds of trainings available in those different countries? 
No, not at all. I, I guess I did some research on the internet, but I didn't have anyone who could guide me in that way. Yeah, so it was just my instinct and a bit of whim, I guess. And it's <laughs> just bizarre to think that how that completely changed my life. Yeah. So you ended up training as an actor at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. You yes. graduated in 2012. And then you also studied musical theater at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, graduating in 2013. That's true. They're the same school, by the way. They just changed they the are. name. They are. Okay. Yeah. So did you know you wanted to study acting and then musical theater as well? or I always wanted to study both. And I think when I applied for BA, I tried for both acting and musical theater courses. I just happened to get into an acting course. But musical theater was always on my mind and I thought yeah maybe I should give it a try again and yeah right but it was a bit of a surprise to me that I actually got in because I'm I can sing I'm like I'm not a bad singer but I'm not like a, I'm more like an actor who can sing rather than a singer singer if you know what I mean sure sure yeah fantastic I realized that earlier I said England I should have said the UK and actually Scotland Um, And that was also just a coincidence, choosing Scotland. You know what? It kind of was. I mean, I I did a foundation course in Cambridge for a year before then. and, And I applied for multiple drama schools. But I only got into RCS and RSAMD, which is what it was called at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's weird because, like, I think before I came here, I hadn't known that Scotland was part of the UK. Right. I just never heard of Scotland in my life. And (laughs) suddenly I ended up living there. But my teacher on the foundation course, she went to RCS like decades ago. So I think that was probably one of the reasons why I applied for it. Sure. And Mm. how was your training at that time? Oh, um, I think there was a lot of ups and downs. And Mm. I think... Just the training aside, I I love the training. It was fantastic. And I definitely came out as a better actor. I loved doing the productions. I think the downs were probably to do with me being a foreigner and Mm. coming from an ethnic minority background as well. Mm -hmm. And like there were 21 people in our year group and I was one of three international students the other two are from America and Germany mm-hmm. and I was one of two students of color and the other student was half white half Scottish and um, half Arab so I kind of like stood out in many ways because I I physically looked different and I'd been in the UK for just one year by then meaning I mean my English was fluent enough but not enough to pick up subtle nuances and cultural references and I struggled a lot in my first year to fit in. I struggled more than I acknowledged at the time mm-hmm. and ever since I started acting even back in Korea I always had this feeling that I was doing something that I wasn't actually good at and um, it's something that haunted me for a while and it still does sometimes and that sensation was doubled at the drama school because like everyone in my year was so so talented which made me think it must have been a pure luck that I got in and that like combined with the whole language and cultural thing I just felt like I was thrown into the deep end and I was completely out of depth and out of place and I think some of the tutors didn't know how to guide me in that respect Mm. and often I felt that they were trying to 
associate whatever I did, whatever traits I had with the Korean culture, like I embodied the essence of Korea. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And they meant well. I know they were trying to understand me better, but, you know, like often I feel like I was put in this bracket, a bracket they didn't even understand very well. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Totally. I know. I totally understand that. When I was training, I was constantly being asked questions about France and French culture <laughs> and yeah, very yeah. similar. Like they they yeah. try to make a lot of connections with like, ah, it must be a French thing. Well, you know, it's a French thing. It's not- yeah. Did you also find support though while you were out there? Did you find a, a sense of community? Did you find a group of people you could connect to and who were more welcoming, understanding? That's an interesting question because I felt that glass school which is where the school was was very welcoming and i felt like i really felt home in glass school but mm. i don't feel like i really had that support like inside the school or even inside in my year group right everyone was really lovely and i'm still good friends with a lot of them but even they like some of them admitted that they felt like i was being a bit ostracized not intentionally but it's almost like they didn't know how to deal with me if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. When I trained, obviously I got in and so it felt like the message was, you're welcome here. Mm-hmm. But in one of the first professional consulting sessions, you know, I, I opened my mouth to speak. And one of the first things the casting director who was there said, oh, where are you from? And then when I explained, she was like, okay, yeah, you won't work here. You won't work. Oh, did you ever encounter something like that where, you know, they'd welcome the doors to the training, but you felt like once you were there, you were kind of wondering sort of why in a sense? Yeah, I mean, I think when I was training at the time, it almost felt like we weren't being prepared for a career. We were Hmm. like, we were training, we were learning the craft, but there wasn't actually much talk about what's going to happen afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it wasn't just me. I think a lot of us felt yeah. like after the, after graduating, like, oh, like the reality hit and that wasn't what we had been prepared for. Yeah. 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 And so how were your, um, your years after graduating from those courses from 2013 onward? Well, I think immediately after graduating, I went back to South Korea, mainly because I couldn't sort out my visa situation. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to go back. And there I worked as an assistant director for this big musical theater company for two years. Um, It was one of the biggest musical theater companies in Korea, but I had a very, very horrible experience there. I was like completely depressed. Having said that, I it really helped like networking and stuff, and that's the works and the productions I did there. They were the ones that really helped me get my visa to come back here. So I guess mm. something came out of it. Yeah, and because it's because I had that experience as an assistant director, so I was like on the other side of the table. That helped me kind of mentally prepare to when I got back into acting. Like I kind of knew the reality a little bit more than I did when I first graduated from drama school, so mm. I was more aware of these things. Yeah. That's interesting. So when did you come back to the UK after that? It was 2015. It was November 2015. Yeah. And did you always want to return to the UK? Or was that only after you started getting that work experience? It was a bit of both because I'd always wanted to come back to the UK because that's where I trained and I was more used to the 
just the general environment of the industry, even though like I grew up in South Korea, I spent all of my adulthood in the UK. So I kind of felt more comfortable in that sense. And that company in Korea really solidified uh, my desire to come back. Right. Yeah. yeah. So between 2015 then and 2019, what did you do? Well, I started working as an actor. Well, the first thing I did when I got back to the UK was get another job to support myself, my muggle job. <laughs> and I worked in the front of house at Her Majesty's Theatre where Phantom of the Opera was playing. Um, <laughs> Which is one of the reasons I ended up kind of like hating the show. I see, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exposure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I must have seen that like hundreds of times. Anyway, um, then I got an agent. Well, swapped my agent after a month because I wasn't really happy with him. And then I, it was around the time I started taking writing seriously, I think. Could you tell us a bit about how it was for you? Well, first of all, your visa process back then. And also, how did you find it getting an agent, finding representation, getting back into the industry? Yeah. So the visa I had at the time was called, it's like a working holiday. I think its proper name is like a youth mobility scheme or something like that. They literally pick a name out of the hat. So it's just pure luck that I got the <laughs> visa. Yeah, it was for two years. And I got my first agent fairly quickly, I think, <laughs> He was like overly fascinated by the fact that I was Asian. He was like always on about how I was his first Asian client. Mm. He literally introduced me to other people as his first Asian client. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I know, right? I didn't really get along well with him, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And so I left him after a month and I found another agent, which I was more happy with. Terrific. Yeah. How did you go about approaching agents? I think I just like emailed a ton of agents until I got replies from some of them. But it was kind of, I think it was kind of about the first time I started seeing myself as a product in a way and to really think about like what my selling points are, like how to sell myself. Because mm. I didn't really think of that when I was at drama school. And I think when you're at drama school, you are kind of you're encouraged to think that you can play anything, which is true. You're, you're capable of playing anything. But in reality, you put in this bracket, not just because of your ethnicity, but the way you sound and, you know, for various reasons. So I think that was the first time I really started to think, oh, like how I will be seen in the industry by like casting directors and agents while writing these emails. Yeah. And what then drove you to writing? I think it's even more obscure than what drove me into acting. I think I was quite good at creative writing as a kid and I was often told I should pursue it as a career. But because I was so determined to be an actor, every time someone suggested something else, I kind of shot them down immediately. So I didn't even consider it. And it didn't come to my mind that I could do both. Like, wow. Mm. <laughs> I, I can't quite remember the turning point or if there was one at all. But when I was in my final year at drama school, I adapted a Korean play and put it on as part of this project. And I think that was the first time I saw something I'd written being performed. I mean, technically, I didn't write it, but I had to heavily adapt it. And I think that was around the time I started taking an interest in writing plays specifically. Then again, it took a few years of convincing until I started taking it seriously because mm. 
well for one i wasn't sure which country i'd end up settling in mm-hmm. and it's a lot more difficult to get your work produced in south korea and then also like yeah this is another story but if i were to work in the uk as a writer i'd have to write in english and no matter how fluent i am it's still not my first language and i wasn't sure if i stood a chance mm. if that makes sense yeah yeah then i took a 10 week course at the national theater which was led by Gemma Kennedy it was like some sort of a tryout for me to see if i was actually capable of doing that <laughs> um and i must have decided i was yeah fantastic so you then decided to train as well and you studied dramaturgy at goldsmiths in 2019 is that right yes i mean there were two reasons why i decided to do a masters in playwriting one was because i kind of literally didn't know how to start this new career as a writer like i knew how to write and yeah i had to write but like i didn't know where to start like how to get in that world mm. but another reason was that that uh, was around the time my visa had expired and i applied for this global talent visa but i got rejected the first time and at the time i was in a serious relationship with my boyfriend who's now my husband it's like i think the stake was a a lot higher at the time i really really wanted to come back to the uk so i had to go back to south korea to prepare for the global talent visa again but i thought if i was accepted into a masters it's like a backup option because i could get a student visa mm, right yeah. yeah yeah but i did get the visa in the end oh you did wonderful yeah yeah how was it studying at goldsmiths was it a very different experience i take it from the acting studies oh yeah massively massively different i think that was the first time i actually had to write essays but because it was a masters like everyone was expected to know what to do when writing an essay but right. i had no idea like <laughs> like all these like citations like why do you need a reference to claim something so obvious that's what i was thinking but anyway <laughs> so writing essays was i understand that too that was that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I, before then i'd always thought of myself as an academic person but when i was doing the course i was like oh my god i'm so not academic compared to <laughs> these guys like what am i doing yeah it was quite a different experience but i i enjoyed it overall it was a good challenge and i managed to write my first full length play which is unburied so terrific Unburied, which won the runner-up position in the Woven Voices Prize, our first Woven Voices Prize. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, on that note, we can move along to talking more about the present day. I, I will actually just pick up on that. So, as Zach said, Unburied was the runner-up in the first ever Woven Voices Prize. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And it really is an achievement because we had such a high standard of entries mm-hmm. and so many entries from such a diverse range of first-generation migrants in the UK Mm. and Ireland, which was fantastic. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about the play? It's based on the deportation of Korean immigrants in the Far East Russia in 1937. I guess I should explain the event first before I talk about the play. So basically about 170,000 of people got forcibly moved to various countries in Central Asia. And the reason was that there was a lot of elements at play. Well, first of all, Korean immigrants were one of the largest ethnic minorities in the Soviet Union, and they petitioned for autonomy, which was met with opposition and denied, but it made the local Russians wary of the growing 
community of Korean immigrants. And also during this period, Korea was occupied by Japan and a lot of the independence fighters fled Korea and continued operating in the Far East, which brought on several attacks in the Far East by the Japanese. And the Soviet government's goal was to maintain a peaceful stance towards Japan at the time. But also simultaneously, they also suspected that there could be Japanese spies hiding in that region and they wouldn't be able to tell because they're all Asian. Mm. And hence the deportation began and a lot of them died during the journey because of starvation, exposure and just overall really poor condition of the train, which wasn't a proper train even. And many of the survivors died afterwards while struggling to settle. So my plays based on that and it follows a family's journey from day one to the arrival in Kazakhstan and they don't know why or where they're being moved they were just told that two days ago just to like pack up everything and you are to leave and each of them has a different sense of identity which causes conflicts amongst them there's the grandmother who sees herself as a Korean and the grandchildren, brother and sister, who were born and bred in Russia and identify themselves as Russians. And there's their parents who don't appear on stage, but they're mentioned often and they've got a strong presence. I think they're fighting for the independence of Korea against Japan. And this brother and sister, they have different opinions on that as well. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. Is this historical event something that is? part of the history you're taught at school in South Korea? Is it is it sort of well known? Not so much, surprisingly. I mean, I got the idea, I learned about it properly when I went on a family trip to Vladivostok, which is where the place set, and that was in 2018. And before then, I hadn't known much about it. I'd vaguely heard of it, and I must have learned about it at school, but I don't remember much about it. And I definitely didn't know the extent of it. And I was quite shocked that it was so little known considering the scale of it. Mm. And I was like, wow, there are so many layers here. There were like independence fighters fighting for their home country and also those who saw themselves as Russians. But some, some of them also helped the fighters as well. But there are also people who just wanted a peaceful life as a Russian citizen. And in the end, they were all stripped over their identity. Yeah, I thought there was something quite fascinating about it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think for audiences here, it's something that I imagine few people really know anything about. So it's really mm. an opportunity to learn about that period of history. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about the process of developing the piece? You mentioned that it came out of your time at Goldsmiths. Could you talk us through the last few years in terms of developing it? Yeah, so I kind of like had the idea, well, I went on this family holiday with my mum and her partner and he kind of joked about it, like, oh, I should write a play about it. And I did in the end, but I didn't do anything about it until I did an MA and I had to write one full-length play as my dissertation and I chose to write about it. And I think it took me about half a year, which is very short, to complete and almost final draft and then it took a few more months to get the actual final draft but at the time because I was still new to writing I didn't have much of a process of my own I think I know some writers can just start writing not knowing how it's going to unfold and just see where it takes you um, and I'm the opposite of that mm -hmm. I have to know the details about the setting and the 
the history of the characters and the rough structure of the play before actually starting to write. And the downside of this is that it takes ages to start. And sometimes I just get tired and conclude that this isn't going to work and give up before I even started. Mm. But once I started, it's a relatively smooth process. I think that was the case with Unburied as well. I can write very fast once I know what I want to write. And usually I, I decide what each of the characters wants to achieve in the scene or throughout the play and simulate an improv in my head. And another thing I always do is just read and follow each character one by one through the whole scene or the play to make sure each of their journey makes sense, not just for the sake of the logic, but also for the actors. Because, you know, I think as an actor, sometimes you feel that certain parts of script don't really work for the character and with you as an actor like things don't flow even if it looks fine to the audience and you have mm. to justify the thought process of the character which is an actor's job as well but I kind of try to make it as easy as possible for the actors so that's what I had in mind when I was writing Unburied and also there was a lot of research as well because I can't say I was an expert in that specific part of history and yeah, so it took a lot of research. That's really interesting in terms of how your experience as an actor has no doubt helped your proficiency as, as a playwright. Mm. So, so in terms of your career today, it's sort of a horrible question to ask anyone in the arts, but like, <laughs> what, <laughs> what are you kind of mostly doing? Do you see playwriting as being kind of where you want to focus your energy at the moment? I think it's like 60, 40 mm. right now, 60 being acting and 40 mm-hmm. writing. But yeah, it's a really difficult question. And one thing I learned over the last decade is that things rarely turn out the way you plan or mm. you hope for better or worse. But yeah. Mm. And in terms of your acting, how have you found the industry in terms of being receptive to you as a migrant? And, you know, we spoke a little bit about sort of accent and that sort of thing like have you found that a barrier to work or has it been a an asset in some respects yeah I mean accent was it it's always been a massive thing even at drama school and you know like we had classes on accents and stuff we had to do exams and I remember in my first year I had to do a monologue in RP as part of this exam and of course, like I, I've been speaking English for like a year, so I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. And like it was kind of expected to be shit. Yeah. But I remember like when I was doing the monologue in front of the tutors, they were like absolutely horrified. Like I could see it on their faces, which I found a bit like almost like humiliating in a way. And mm. I, I was like, I just dropped this bomb and I was the bomb myself. And it was like constantly, well, there was this idea that if I can't, master like this accent I I wouldn't be able to work in the industry in a way like it's been only like a couple of years since I started feeling confident in saying okay I could do this accent and I was happy to put it on my CV I still can't improvise in them but I I can manage with some practice but yeah that's always been a massive thing did you have support at the drama school did you have extra lessons? Were you given more support than others for that accent? Yes, I actually, I actively seeked hmm. for support and, and for extra lessons, which they provided in the Great. end. So Great. yeah, yeah. And how have you found creating work in this country? Obviously, you've worked as an actor, writer across a range of different mediums. Yeah. How have you found the experience of getting work made? 
I guess I should be talking in comparison to the Korean industry because I think what I like about the UK industry is that there are definitely more doors available for theatre makers and writers and there's more space for more experimental works and there are funding opportunities and call-outs for new writing. I'm not saying it's perfect, Mm. it's not, but it's much better in that sense compared to the Korean industry and and I'm sure like a lot of industries in other countries as well and you know there's equity to protect those in the industry and again I'm not saying they're always efficient and protective but a lot of cultures don't even have equity for workers in show business. Mm. Do you find that there are particular types of work that you're drawn to or you know have you noticed a pattern in either the parts you get or the parts that you apply for in the first place? As an actor? Yeah. I think in the first year of my career, the first couple of years of my career as an actor, I I felt like I was being put forward to whatever, as long as they were looking for someone of East Asian heritage. And yeah, I don't know how I felt about it. I think at the time, because I was still like new in the industry, I just took whatever came my way. But over the time, I think I started being considered for something that wasn't necessarily like ethnic specific if you know what I mean yeah and the final one from me as we all know the past few years have been really challenging for everybody but particularly the arts in some ways yeah how have you found that and how has it affected you oh yeah it's almost like the last two years kind of didn't exist (laughs) I think I had a sort of crisis because the whole situation made me feel very incompetent like obviously there weren't acting jobs or even writing jobs and I used to like I said I used to work in the front of house to support myself and I couldn't even do that because the theater was closed and most of my qualifications and work experiences were to do with theater and performing or customer service and there was nothing I could do and I was struck by my inability like I was in my 30s and I had two master's degrees and there was so little I could do I was like Mm. what have I done with my life and I maybe I should have studied something else at least for one of the degrees and all the while the theatres was still open in South Korea and there was this nagging thought in my head oh maybe it's better for me to stay there until the industry is back on its feet in the UK Mm. but then again like there was no guarantee I would actually get work there because you know, the nature of the profession, there's no like guarantee in anything. And also I was living with my boyfriend, who is now my husband. So I ended up staying here. And I think at the beginning of the lockdown, I thought this could be a good opportunity for me to really focus on writing. And I think a lot of writers thought that, but I, <laughs> I just couldn't. I Yeah, I barely wrote anything. But I think in the end, I handled things okay. And I wish I could say it was because I had some insightful revelation but it's not that to be honest it was just because despite all that I still had some things to do like I got commissioned to write monologues for a couple of online festivals which kind of like not forced but like propelled me to write because like I said Mm. I I found it very difficult to like just keep writing for its own sake Mm -hmm. and I got a few acting gigs not a lot and mostly online but I also performed in an outdoor production So overall, I think I was a lot luckier than some of my friends. And I managed to get a new side job, aka muggle job, which is something different to what I used to do. It's not in customer service and I'm more content with it. So gradually things became more bearable. But if things hadn't turned out that way, I don't know how 
I would have been able to cope with the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. I d- just yeah. one kind of additional question. I've been thinking about this a lot lately mm-hmm. because things have been so tough for the industry. And obviously, globally, we're heading into so many more crises. Like, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to somebody setting out on this journey of working in theatre and the arts more broadly? Oh, that's a tough question. I think because like I've been in the industry for about 10 years now so I feel like I should be able to give a more like a tangible piece of advice and I should know more than I do now but I think the more experience I have I feel like I just discover that I know so little but okay if I could advise myself like 10 years ago fresh out of drama school Jimin I would say yeah ah, i don't know it's um (laughs) it's just that every journey is so unique right yeah it Mm. is it is i think definitely i would have told myself to really see this as a career and map it out when i was training i almost didn't realize that this is a job Mm. it's a form of art but it's also a job and there are stuff you have to deal with as in any like other kinds of jobs yeah the practicalities of it the practicality and the financial elements to it so yeah be prepared for those things but at the same time don't forget why you started it in the first place because I think sometimes I find myself I kind of forget that I started doing this because well I loved acting I loved performing Mm. so it's not just about like making money through it yeah. yeah yeah finding the balance between the very practical yeah. job element and the passion element yeah it's, it's like a hundred percent a job and a hundred percent an art form yeah mm. also i'll say like there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and you'll yeah. not always stay up there or down there it's like a roller coaster so mm. for sure yeah mm. and so Jimini, you talked about what is commendable about the UK theatre industry and mm-hmm. how it is more open to experimentation and there are more opportunities overall and mm-hmm. more equity. But you said also that it wasn't perfect because, of course, nothing is. So yeah. do you feel that it can do better? Yeah, I mean, it can do better in terms of like inclusivity and diversity. But I think one thing that comes to my mind is that And this is something I've been noticing recently is that the world of acting, especially in the UK, it's quite elitist in a way. Like, for instance, you have to be on spotlight to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if you don't have a degree in theatre, you have to spend years building up your career in order to just get your spotlight profile. But many agents don't represent actors who are not on spotlight and no representation means less auditions. It's like a catch-22 situation. And Mm -hmm. this is something I didn't realize back in the days because I was given an access to spotlight immediately because I went to drama school and I didn't think much of it. But I've encountered many actors who are very talented but didn't go to drama school for various reasons, whether it's financial or they just weren't lucky and being accepted into drama school doesn't always mean you're more talented than those who aren't I Mm. mean like I auditioned for several schools and got into only one of them and if I hadn't applied for that specific school I wouldn't have gone to a drama school at all Mm. and then my parents were able to financially support me which I think is a massive privilege Mm. and that's not what everyone has and I think it's a shame that 
they're often dismissed because of the fact that they didn't receive formal training. Because I've met like really, really talented actors who didn't go to drama school. And I think if Spotlight is going to be a, like a standard requirement in the industry, it shouldn't be a privilege for a few. It should be more accessible. I'm not saying anyone should be able to just like get it on a whim, but it should be more accessible than it is now. So the word migrant is obviously such a blanket term, which covers a huge range of very, very mm -hmm. different experiences. But that being said, with your travels and experience, do you feel that there is something of a shared migrant experience or sense of identity? There must be because... I mean, because obviously everyone's experience is different and I don't want to like generalize them and I can't speak for every migrant, but I often find it easier to create a bond with someone who's a migrant themselves. Like mm. I find it much easier to make friends with them. And even like most of my close friends in Korea happen to have spent a good amount of time in different countries or they speak different languages. And it's not like I picked them specifically to be my friends yeah. it's just like yeah and even though we don't always talk about being migrants obviously it's but there must be some, some sort of like shared sense of something whether it's identity or what and when I talk to my migrant friends I find that a lot of them feel that they don't 100% belong anywhere like mm. one foot here and one foot there but never fully identify as either of them which is like often interpreted in a negative way and I yeah. I mean there are definitely downsides of it but I think it also means that you've got more lenses through which you can see the world like you are naturally able to view things from multiple perspectives and especially if you speak more than one language it's like your world is like expanded but also like at the same time you feel like neither of them is your mother tongue in true sense yeah yeah, yeah. I actually meant to ask how many languages do you speak Oh, um, zero, but <laughs> <laughs> I speak Korean and English and I've like kind of dabbled Japanese, French and Russian, but I'm like, yeah, it never got to the point that I was like fluent. Sure. Yeah. Notions of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I, like when I was a kid, I thought, oh, I'd be able to speak like five different languages when I grow up. And it felt doable at the time. But yeah, <laughs> our adult brains are yeah. not as absorbent. Yeah. And so, yeah, speaking of one foot there and one foot elsewhere and yeah, that being both a sort of blessing, privilege and, and a bit mm -hmm. of a curse. When you hear the word home, what comes to mind? How would you define it for yourself? It's not so much about the location, it's, I guess, like, when I hear the word home, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously my home in London, which is where I am now, mm. but not this, like, specific building, but because this is where I've kind of built my life, and this is where my husband is, but, like, I think my home home will always be Korea, specifically where my mom lives in Seoul, because mm. I think the idea of home is so deeply attached to her presence yeah and I think in Korea like we moved so many times so I, I don't feel like specifically attached to a certain area but it's more about like where my mom is yeah yeah exactly and I guess a question that we absolutely love <laughs> asking <laughs> our guests is what do you feel is 
the most British thing about you and the least British thing about you? And <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the least British thing about me is that I, well, I don't wear shoes indoors. Yeah. <laughs> and it really irritates me when my husband does. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> one of our best answers ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I will ever lose that. And I don't want to. <laughs> so not even slippers, just bare feet. Um, I think we've kind of come to a compromise so he can wear shoes like in the sitting room or in the kitchen, but absolutely not in the bedroom, but he yeah. sometimes does. <laughs> <laughs> and then what would be the most British something that you've maybe taken on? I mean, me, it's like very boring. It's tea. I never used to drink it and now I can't function without it. Yeah, I think there's a few, but I, the first thing that comes to my mind is that I, I say sorry and thank you a lot. Mm. I guess that's a good thing, but I think Koreans don't really say those things often. Like <laughs> if someone accidentally ran into you on the street, they would just like walk past you without saying anything. And I find myself constantly saying sorry and thank you when I was in Korea. And people are like, oh my God, you're so polite. Like, why are you constantly saying sorry? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's so interesting. Like depending yeah. on where people we've interviewed are from, they either find the British extremely polite and lovely or yeah. the opposite it really depends where you're coming from yeah <laughs> and so yeah we've kind of touched on this a little bit already but just to conclude what are your hopes for the future both professional and personal I think I should talk about personal thing because that actually has a big impact on my plan as an actor and writer because I'm well my husband and I are planning to have children in the next couple of years yeah. hopefully well I hope to be a good parent yes but at the same time like since we started discussing it I can really feel the clock is ticking and I there's this pressure that I have to achieve as much as possible for the next two years in case I have to take a break mm. or something so I, I try not to be too stressed out about it but yeah I think in the next couple of years I would really like to be more just established in the industry as in general like being the writer a bit more uh, whatever that means and yeah as a writer I'm planning to have Unburied produced next year oh, exciting so can you tell us the details of that yet or not yet so it was like briefly produced at the beginning of 2020 at the Bunker Theatre. It yeah. received four performances and the director worked on it. Well, we we applied for Arts Council's funding recently. So hopefully we'll... Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. fingers crossed, really. Yeah. So yeah, we're trying to get it produced next year and for a longer period of time, hopefully. Yeah. Also, I'm working on two other scripts at the moment. So I'd like to finish at least one of them and have it shared or performed in public mm. yeah wonderful well we really hope that the woman voices prize can help give you, you. the exposure yeah, you definitely. deserve and yeah yeah Thank we you. loved reading your play and we we can't wait to listen to it read out loud by actors Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Jimin, for doing this with us. It's so wonderful that you came to us through this competition as well. And yeah, all the very, very best. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Just thank you. To find out more about Jimin and her work, check out the links in this episode's show notes. You've been listening to Migrative's a podcast produced by Woven Voices. 
Migratives is created and hosted by Nadia Cavell, Zachary Fall, and Ben Weaver-Hanks. Our music is by Guy Hughes, and our artwork is designed by Lucy Stapleton-Smith. To support the podcast, you can rate, review, and subscribe on the platform of your choice. And to find out more about our work, follow Woven Voices on social media, or check out our website, wovenvoices.org.